Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. And good morning. As Pastor Mike said, today we're here to finish up our Anchored Reliable Truths in the Storms of Life series. Uh, Last week, if you were here, remember we talked about being anchored in God's promises in Scripture and how we can use Scripture to be our anchor. Uh, We also heard a testimony from a family who really lost everything in the floods last month, and we were able to be encouraged by their story of how they use Scripture and they use God's promises to support them and anchor them through that time. If you missed it, I encourage you to go online, parkwayfellowship.com, or our Parkway Fellowship app, and watch last week's sermon. Their testimony will bless you. So today, we're going to finish this up and talk about what it means to be anchored in prayer. Right now, prayer, I think, is one of the most really misunderstood, mistreated, misused parts of being a Christian, but it is one of the most vital parts. But think about it, most of us were never really trained in what it is to pray. If you think about it, prayer is that, it's that personal time between you and God, and a lot of people treat it that way. They're like, this is me and God. But to intentionally sit down and teach someone how to pray, for a lot of us, that hasn't happened. Uh, In 100% transparency, I haven't done a good job at all of teaching people how to pray and what it means to pray and what prayer looks like. And I think that's most people. I mean, really, most people, our exposure to prayer consists of the little pithy nursery rhyme things that, you know, you pray before you go to bed or before you eat, like... Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? You're talking to your little kid about dying in their sleep. Hey, pray if you die in your sleep. What? Or here's, how about this one? God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hand we are fed, thank you God for... Daily bread, that's right, you know it, you've heard it, you've seen it, many of you have probably prayed it. But are we really teaching our children what it means to be thankful for what God has given us? Or is this just a quick little rhyme they can say as fast as they can so they get to their McNuggets? Without prayer and training what that is, as adults, we grow up and our prayers really don't get much past what we learned as a child. Except maybe we've learned to fancy them up a little bit, like some of us learn how to pray in King James. Oh, Lord, we thank thee for thy bountiful blessings which thou hast bestowest upon us this day. That was pretty good, right? Or some of us, we pray this prayer. This is one of my favorites. God, please be with so-and-so today. But think about it. God's everywhere. Of course he's with so-and-so. So, so what are you saying? Are you saying, God, give them comfort today? God, give them strength today? What, what, are we, what are we saying when we pray prayers like that? Now, and listen, our intentions are good. We're intending to express our need and reliance and dependence on God with those prayers. But really, are they strong enough to hold us, to anchor us when the storms of life are coming and the wind is blowing and the waves are high? Is God is great, God is good enough for you to anchor down and withstand a storm like that? The answer is no, it's not. 
when you are anchored in prayer, everything takes on a brand new meaning. And if you are not anchored in prayer solidly, then like our friends in Simonton that just had to evacuate because of flooding, what are you going to do? Where's your foundation? What are you going to do when you arrive at work on Friday and your boss says, hey, the company was purchased, we're downsizing, you got a job no more. How are you going to respond when you look at your child's phone and find evidence of pornography or sexting? How are you going to be when you have your kids all go off to college and you look at the person that you're married to and you go, you know, I don't even really think I know you and I'm not even sure I really like you. How do you handle those situations without being anchored in prayer? You will capsize and drown. So today, we're going to answer the question together, how can I, how can prayer anchor me in the storm? And the first thing you remember is this. It's your first fill-in of the day. You need to pray for what I want God to do. Pray for what I want God to do. Now, some of you jokers out there right now are saying, pray for what I want. God, I need a Maserati. Okay? I know, some of you thought it. So, before you go off on that branch of thinking, let's, let's get a little perspective and couch that in Scripture, okay? In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, we find the story of two blind men who were outside the city of Jericho. And they heard Jesus was coming, and they started crying, Lord, have mercy on us. And the people around them were trying to shush them, and they're like, you're making a scene, stop that. So they cried louder, Lord, have mercy on us. And then look what the Bible says in verse 32. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Bible tells us, he leaned over, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes were healed and they had sight. The storm that they were in at that moment was blindness. And being blind back in Bible times was not like being blind today. Being blind meant that you couldn't work. You couldn't have a house. You couldn't have a family. You were reduced to being a beggar. And they said, Lord, we want our sight. Not so they could have power and wealth and fast cars or whatever. They wanted to no longer be a beggar. Lord, we want our sight. Now, we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So he knew that those beggars were there. He knew what they needed and what they wanted before they even asked. But the Bible tells us Jesus did not stop until they called out to him. And then he asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And it was not until they answered that he did it for them. God wants us to tell him what we want. So maybe today you're searching. You've, you've decided that life has got to be more than what you're living. You've tried living the way everyone says to, and you're feeling unfulfilled. And your storm today is just unfulfillment. If that's you today and you're searching for the answer, I want to tell you the answer you're looking for is Jesus. And his question, what do you want me to do for you? You need to ask, Lord, I need you to forgive my sin, and I need you to show me how to live. There's a sample prayer on the back of your message notes at the bottom that will show you how to make that prayer 
If that's you today and you're searching and you need that answer, I encourage you, make today the day that you decide to ask God to be the Lord of your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Now maybe today, maybe your, your storm is something else. Maybe you need something different. Maybe right now, your storm that you need and the answer to your question, what do you want me to do for you, is this. Maybe you need to say, Lord, the price of a barrel of oil has decimated my industry and I just need a job. Maybe your answer is, Lord, the doctors have found the lump and I need it not to be cancer. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your children are being disrespectful and out of control right now and you just need God to fix it. War Room is a movie that came out last fall. Tells the story of a middle-aged woman named Elizabeth and she found herself in the middle of a massive storm like this in her life and she had to find the answer to the question, what do you want me to do for you? See, her husband was about to cheat on her. Their marriage was totally on the rocks. And there was so much strife in their home that her daughter was confessing to one of her friends and just said, hey, I just wish I could live with you because there's so much fighting in the house. She was wrecked. She was at the breaking point in her life when she met Clara, who is a, a seasoned Christian who taught her what it means to ask that question and to answer it, what do you want me to do for you? But she also taught her that the troubles that we experience right now there's a spiritual battle going on. And the way that we connect to God to fight those spiritual battles is through prayer. All right, watch this clip. Elizabeth, there's not room for you and God on the throne of your heart. It's either him or it's you. You need to step down. Now, if you want victory, you're going to have to first surrender. But Miss Clara, do I just back off? and choose to forgive and then just let him walk all over me? God is a good defense attorney. Trust it to him. And then you can turn your focus to the real enemy. The real enemy? The one that wants to remain hidden. The one that wants to distract you and deceive you and divide you from the Lord and your husband. You see, that's how it works. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is stealing your joy. He is killing your faith. And he's trying to destroy your family. If I were you, I would get my heart right with God. And you need to do your fighting in prayer. And you need to kick the real enemy out of your home with the word of God. It's time for you to fight, Elizabeth. It's time for you to fight for your marriage. It's time for you to fight the real enemy. It's time for you to take off the gloves and do it. What a great scene. I mean, it's time for you to fight, Elizabeth. I mean, I'm inspired. I want to do it. Clara, that's who I want to be when I grow up. She is tiny but she is mighty. She's like the Yoda of prayer, right? She knows it, she gets it, she understands the power of prayer. She understands that prayer is not only an anchor to hold you in place, but it's a weapon to fight back against the enemy and the evil one. 
The battle is raging in the spiritual. Not just here in the flesh, but in the spiritual. And prayer is your connection. Prayer is your strength. Prayer is how you get engaged in the spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Prayer is our connection to the spiritual. It's how we look at the storm and say, I'm staying here. I'm not going any farther because there's nothing that the world can send to me that God cannot overcome. Priscilla Shirer is a popular Bible study teacher. Uh, She was actually the young lady that you saw in that clip playing the role of Elizabeth. She said this about prayer and I love the way she phrased it. Prayer is is what opens up the floodgates for God to be involved in our everyday circumstances. Do you want God to be involved in your everyday circumstances? It's prayer. Tell him what you want. Just like those blind men outside of Jericho. God knew all of their needs. He did not get involved in their circumstances until they asked and said, Lord, We want our sight. Now the next thing that you need to do, your second fill in for the day, tell God how I feel. In order to be anchored in prayer, you need to tell God how I feel. See, it's really common in the middle of a storm to feel overwhelmed, to feel beat down, to feel broken, to feel despair. Satan is a master at bombarding you with those things. And in our Christian culture, we've gotten very good at this right here. We come to church and we put on the face. We get around other Christians, we put on the face. At home, it's this. But other Christians, we're right here. Because it seems we feel like there's something spiritual about not having any problems. How are you today? I'm great, how are you? Oh, things are great, wonderful, bless you, love to hear it. And we go on our way like everything is awesome. When we know it's not. But we think we have to be that way. And we think we have to be that way with God. But God knows how you feel. There's nothing uber spiritual about not having any problems. As a matter of fact, it's the other way around. It's when you have struggles and problems, sharing those like you would in a small group of other people, walking those paths together, telling God how you feel. King David is a great example of this. Now, King David is the one who, as a boy, who killed the giant Goliath. He was king and he was a warrior and he is the one who defeated all of Israel's enemies so that Israel had peace for the first time in this existence. The Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. All right, if there's anyone in scripture that I would wanna be, it would be him. Look at what he says in Psalms. Chapter 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Psalm 74, why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Those are the words 
of a man after God's own heart. Take your pen, draw a big box around all three of those scriptures, and in big letters, write the word honesty. Because that's what that is. The man after God's own heart was honest. If you ever feel like God is hiding his face from you, you feel forsaken, all of those things that he just said, be honest. Tell God how you feel. And sometimes, sometimes the words just won't come. You are so wrecked by the pain that you feel that you can't even pray. You know you should pray, you wanna pray, but the words just won't seem to come. That reminds me of the story of Job, all right? If you're not familiar with the story of Job, it's a book in the Bible, right by Psalms. Job was an honorable man of God. The Bible tells us that he loved God, all right? And Satan was given the opportunity to test Job. And in the span of a couple of days, Job's 10 children died. He lost all of his wealth, everything he had. His body was covered from the top of his head to the soles of his feet with painful, blistering sores called boils. And his wife, the one who should stand by him, the one who should encourage and support him, looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? That's about as low of a point as I can think of. I mean, he went from really awesome to really not in the span of a couple of days. The Bible tells us that he sat in ashes in mourning and he took broken pottery and he scraped the sores on his body. His friends heard about his predicament and so they came to offer him comfort. And it says in the book of Job chapter two, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That pretty much is rock bottom. Seven days, seven nights, sitting in ashes with painful sores, not saying a word. You ever felt like that? Like you're at your breaking point? Like you can't take any more? That's the point. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and prays for you on your behalf. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Take your pen and circle. Intercedes for us with groans. Do you know what it means to groan and ache? We have a God who knows you, who created you, who loves you, who walks with you. And when you hurt, he hurts. And when you reach that point that you don't think you can take anymore, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. Finally, the last thing that you can do to be anchored in prayer is this. Trust God's decision no matter what. Trust God's decision no matter what. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna tell you straight up, this is the hardest part of being a Christ follower. Hands down, 
the hardest part. And the reason is, God's decisions don't always make sense to us. And here in America, we kind of have this spiritual entitlement thing where we go, well, I'm a good person. I go to church every week. I serve. I give money. I'm a part of a small group. I do all those things. I should be okay. And we feel like God owes us that because after all, the American way, you know, you work hard and then you get your reward, right? But the American way is not always God's way. And sometimes God's way has a lot of pain and a lot of strife. And it'll make sense to us sometimes, just being honest. When those times come, you have got to trust God's decision and know that it is best for you. I want to share with you a verse in Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. See, God is saying, I think differently about things than you do. And your human logic and reason doesn't always line up with the big plan. Now, Andrea and I really have experienced this over the last seven years. We've learned to trust in that verse. See, in 2009, we relocated down to the Houston area. I was at a thriving, pretty large church, doing great, and God sent us down to the Sugarland area to be a part of a church start. Nine months into my tenure there, a key donor stopped giving to the church, and my position as worship pastor went from paid staff to volunteer overnight. No warning, no severance. This Sunday, I was a paid worship leader. This Sunday, I was a volunteer. We went into full-on freak-out mode. We asked the questions. We're like, God, really? We were doing great. Why would you bring us down here and have our job go away? We felt like the Israelites when they left Egypt and they were stuck out in the desert saying, God, did you rescue us from, you know, Egypt just to stick us in the desert and let us die? That's what we felt. We were there. And we were in anguish because we knew that God said go. We knew he provided that opportunity. And it didn't make a lot of sense for us to leave a really nice position at a large church to go to a startup church, but we heard God's voice. He called and we said, yes, sir, and we went. I mean, that should have earned us some points, right? But no, we were on financial life support for like a year and a half, spiritual life support for a year and a half. I mean, I applied for jobs. I thought I was good at what I did. It was like crickets. I'd hear nothing. And we're like, God, what are you doing? It did not make sense. And after a year and a half, finally, God provided the next step for us. And that was at Logos Preparatory Academy. And then five years later, he's placed us here. Now, I could go on and on about what God has done in our lives and what he has accomplished and how he has grown us and the things that we've seen him do. We have grown in humility. We have grown in faith. We have grown in trust. Not just me and my wife. I mean, let's be real. That year and a half was very trying for us. We grew stronger together and our bond deepened. 
But it wasn't just us, it was my children. I watched God work in my children's life and watched him grow then. Things that I was able to learn as principal of Logos Prep, I'm seeing every day are translating over into the position that I have here. And honestly, I wouldn't have known about the position here at Parkway except that one of the staff members here, Chris and Jill Sedgwick, have their kids at Logos Prep where I was principal. And I met them that way, and that's how I knew about this position. God orchestrated all of that together, and now, looking back, I go, oh, it makes so much sense. I see what you're doing, God. Way to go. It didn't feel that way in the middle of it. It didn't. It was excruciating in the period of waiting. And I'm I'm here to tell you, I accused God of not making sense. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. That verse in Isaiah, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Hang on to that. Pray the prayer of trust and say, God, this is what I want, but I trust your decision. That's your anchor. That's your weapon. Storms are going to come. It's anchoring yourself with prayer that gets you through them. Whether you're a 12-year-old girl who is diagnosed with leukemia, whether you lost everything in a flood that destroyed your house, whether your marriage and family is in tumult, anchor yourself in prayer. Fight back against the evil one through prayer and you will be able to trust God's decision no matter what happens bow your heads please let me pray for you father I thank you that you give us direct access to you through prayer God that we can call on you day or night in our distress in our joy Um, God I thank you that whenever the storms come whatever they are however big they are father we have an anchor available in you God, I pray for each person in this room today. God, I ask that you will speak to them, that you will help them grasp and understand the power that is available in prayer, the strength that is available by prayer. God, help them to pray to you and then trust you for the results. Father, protect us from the doubts and discouragement the evil one throws at us, God, when when your answer doesn't look like the answer that we want, the answer that we hope for. God, help us to take comfort in you and in your love. God, empower us to follow you and to trust your decisions, God, even when we don't understand what's going on around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app, for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.